The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Well, that was entertaining and informative, wasn't it? Um, they did miss one fact, though, like the because um, I'm like I'm crazy for this stuff. So when I saw this video, I was like, we got to show that. Um, but you know, the star the star did, wasn't that night either. Y'all know that, right? Um, the star was attached to the Magi, who came like a year or so later um, when they were living in a house, and and Jesus was more of a toddler than an infant, and so even the star wasn't part of it. So even that video that tries to correct so much. Uh, still kind of got it wrong. <laughs> I love that. All right, so, all right, but I love the message of that, that uh, there is a point behind all of this, and we do want to talk about the nativity today, and um, are you excited to talk about this? Yeah. Get into God's Word a little bit and, and see what it has to say to us. Uh, so let's talk about the nativity, and um, that word, in fact, um, comes from the old French nat- Nativité, it's also a Latin word, both meaning birth and comes from about the 12th century. And uh, today, uh, when talking about the nativity, we're talking about the birth. We're talking about actually the birth of all births, correct? Uh, That of Jesus Christ. And uh, obviously, this is a pretty big deal to Christ followers, uh, though, and this is important, we're not told anywhere in the scriptures to celebrate Christmas. Did you know that? There's no command to do so. In fact, the church is told only... uh, uh, really by command to do a couple of things. And one of those is baptize people who come to faith in Christ and celebrate the Lord's table. And that's pretty much it. And uh, any other celebrations, we kind of add on to that. They're not, not wrong. We're not commanded in Scripture to not celebrate those things, but uh, we're not commanded in Scripture to celebrate them. And so if you're a uh, bah humbug Scrooge kind of guy, which I have been accused of in the past, which is definitely not true today. I was talking to one of our founding members just before the service and recalling the fact that uh, he would say that in 2003, I actually canceled Christmas at Harvest. And uh, that's not exactly true. Um, But uh, there was an attempt, I think, to do that. I think I told everybody, don't buy gifts for each other, just give the money to to other people. And um, uh, so I've been accused of that in the past, but this is a big deal and I love to celebrate it. But if you don't, that's not a big deal either uh, because we're not commanded to anywhere in the scriptures. Uh, But it just seems to me that this provides us an amazing opportunity to uh, both celebrate something awesome that God did. Amen. And then to kind of invite some other people who don't really know that or understand it to come and hear the message with us and celebrate with us the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that's really the big deal behind the whole um, nativity scene and um, the nativity. So let's have some fun with this. I did ask you last week to submit some of your home nativity scenes. I think we got about 60 or, 60 or 70 of these submitted. And so uh, they were showing before the service and they're on our Facebook page. But I, I just thought it'd be fun to give away some prizes, don't you think? All right. Can you give away prizes on Sunday mornings? Why not? Sure. Why not? Right. All right. So let's do this. Um, best of, and he's going to be up on the screen. Uh, Megan Goodall, is she here? Megan, are you here? Yeah. Best integration of Lego. So you got kind of the traditional one on the bottom floor, but you got this two-story thing going. I, I don't even know what's going on on the top floor, but best use of Lego. Um, the Freemans, and uh, so Roger Margaret and uh, John and Marilyn Freeman, or Schufeld, um, 
they have the most, most, most authentic because they both actually came from Israel. And these are made out of, is it olive wood? They're, bo- they're both made out of olive wood, which uh, seems cooler. Um, <laughs> in it, whatever yours is made of, it's not that cool. Um, and then um, the Hubner family. Um, so I got to read this for you. Can you read this? So I, you know, because the Magi came later, one time in a message, I told people, put the Magi on the other side of the house. Okay. So, hey guys, we're the Magi. We shouldn't be here for a couple more years. Shh. It's hard to display events separated on a linear time scale concurrently. Just go with it. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Absolutely. And uh, lots of other people mentioned that, but uh, prize for the Hubners. Then the Squires family. Um, uh, best, best use of. Um, I'm not sure that's crocheting or knitting. I'm pretty happy that I don't know the difference, actually. <laughs> um, so what is that? Liam, did you do this? Your mom did it. It wasn't Liam. No. So is, it, is it knitting or crocheting? They're air fresheners. <laughs> you trying to get two prizes now? That's it. <laughs> Best smelling nativity scene. <laughs> it's getting out of control now. All right. Langford, because it's the Veggie Tales, okay? <laughs> right? Right? By the way, I thought the Langfords had a lot. Of, they had like seven kids, right? So is it seven or is there more than that? I can't remember. It's seven, right? But you have like nine nativity scenes. They, they put in nine entries. Uh, the Freemans put in a couple, but I don't understand it. By the way, happy birthday, Margaret. Um, it's a, you guys own 24 nativity sets or depictions of the nativity. Wow. I don't know whether to congratulate you or book you for soul care. I, <laughs> so... Um, Moving on, Kyle and Brittany, best edible. Uh, this one is a gingerbread, a gingerbread nativity. Uh, so best edible. I assume it's edible. And then this one I just found sad, and it was anonymous. Have we got that last one? Joyce, it's coming. Three, two, one. There it is. So this person put this one in and said... We've had this one for a long time, and over the years, all the pieces have become lost or broken. So we just put out the stable. <laughs> Somebody buy this family a baby Jesus. I mean, this is awful, right? This is awful. I don't even know who it is. They were too ashamed to give their name. All right, so all of those people that I mentioned, there's a Starbucks gift card for you at Connections. Just stop by and pick that up after this service. And uh, you're probably sad that you didn't put one in. Uh, honorable mention to this one, and this one came from off. This is like the best, the best. <laughs> okay. Best Hispanic Coke can Christmas. Okay, that's right. That's from Barry Kirk, and he lives down in the Hamilton area, and he kind of tracks with our ministry a little bit, so that was fun. All right, so we have two sets at the Dugard home. We have this one. Um, this is from Nigeria, which I uh, went there, and we have a global partnership with Children of Promise Orphanage, and uh, so I had the opportunity to travel to Abaddon uh, a few years ago and uh, picked up this one, 
and uh, we, have, we have some Nigerian families that are part of our church family here, and so that one's kind of cool. So we have that one set up in our loft, and then we got this one this year also from Africa, and I do want some of you to come by and see this afterwards. That's probably me getting too close to somewhere I shouldn't be. And uh, this, this one is um, a fired ceramic one from Cameroon, and we have a new partnership with uh, Harvest in Cameroon, in Douala, Cameroon, and Terry and I, how many people have ever been to Cameroon? Just me and Terry, right? And uh, maybe that'll change for some of you as we uh, continue to work with our partners there, but come up and see this one afterwards. It's a, it's a great set that we now have at our home as well. But growing up, let me just keep on this theme. Growing up, uh, this was the nativity set that, that I had, and this one is probably more than 40 years. It's, it's fired ceramic as well. My aunt made it, and um, I've been setting this thing up um, at my, it's at my mom and dad's house now, so I don't set it up because it's awkward to go over there at 50 years old and, mom, can I set up the nativity set? That seems, that seems wrong in some ways. Now I just go over to pick up my butter tarts and, and that's it. But I have to say that long before our family ever became believers, we had this set. And, um, you know, we were, uh, quote unquote, Christians in the cultural sense of that and going to a mainline church where we never really heard the gospel, but we weren't truly believers and we never really went to church all, all that often. But at Christmas, I got to tell you that for me, as a, as a boy growing up, the tree really wasn't that big a deal to me. And I think my mom and dad would say that, that I would always wait for that uh, blue box that she had this in, that mom had this in. And I would wait for that to come out in this stable that my dad built with some... Uh, some uh, not quite to code electrical work done inside of it with a light inside. And, and I would set that all up every, I would wait for that. And that would be the big deal for me with setting up the nativity. And even as a long before, as a boy and as a teenager, even long before I knew Christ as my savior, I knew there was something unique and special about the nativity. It stirred me in a way that really nothing else really did. And yet still beyond the Christmas season, I would put that away and that it really didn't change my life. It really didn't make any kind of big difference to me. I wasn't living out the life changing message that the coming of Jesus Christ and the nativity was really supposed to uh, communicate. And really that's what we want to get at today is the notion that God with us, Emmanuel coming, the the notion of the nativity ought to change everything for us. And so as we read this story again, I'm going to have Roger come up here in just a moment. He's going to come up here and read the verses that Jordan read for us earlier. I want us to hear these words again from Matthew chapter 1. And he's going to pray for us. But I want us to be thinking about this. What difference is the nativity making in my life? What difference does the birth of Jesus Christ make in your life? Not in December, but every day of every month of every year, the entirety of your life. So Roger, come on up here, read the scripture, pray for us, and then we'll get into this. All right, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your son in the fullness of time. You gave your son, made of a woman. Father, what a mystery that you yourself would come in human flesh to dwell among us and reveal your glory to us. And it had to start somewhere, and it started with a birth. So as we give attention to this birth, Father, we pray that our hearts would be caught with who this really is and why he really came. Father, great is this mystery that you were revealed in flesh. So, Lord, captivate our minds. Give us grace to receive the truth that you came. You came for me came for us the nativity the appearance the beginning has an effect right here right now so we give you this time and pray that you'll use it to do a deep work in our hearts to draw us to you as you have come to us and we prayed in the name of the Savior Jesus Christ Amen. 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 All right, church, what difference does the nativity make? Well, let's start with this. It frames up all of my difficult life circumstances. And in fact, I could say this. It not only frames up the difficult life circumstances, but it frames up all the blessings and joys in my life as well. It frames up all of life. But in the context of what we're looking at here, especially with regard to Joseph, because this narrative kind of tracks through Joseph's response to all of this, um, it's a difficult life circumstance that he's facing. A life does not go well in the moment that he finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now look at it again, verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they came together, not for a date, but before they came together, everybody, if you get, if you get it, say got it. Okay, you know what's happening there. Uh, before they came together, uh, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I wonder how that conversation went. And, and evidently, Joseph did not believe her. Verse 19, and her husband. And they use this term because in the Jewish betrothal tradition, it's way more than engagement, but not quite marriage. And so it was as if they were already married, so pledged to each other uh, that um, he's referred to here as husband, okay? But that's Jewish betrothal. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her uh, quietly. Now, Joseph is dealing with a difficult, perhaps one of the most difficult life situations we could ever face. And whatever you might be going through right now, this has to be one of the most difficult. And that, uh, that is um, that of betrayal. 
Someone said this, the saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. And that's why it's so painful. A lot of people who have written on betrayal uh, would say that it's worse than death itself. I would rather die than be betrayed. See, it's always a friend. It's always a loved one. It's a spouse. It's a son or daughter. It's a parent. It's my closest friend. It's a pastor. It's a church member. It's someone I was so close to. And they betrayed me. They were disloyal. I trusted them. They were dishonest. They were unfaithful to our relationship. The pain really, when you start to think about it, is deeper than anything else. And all Joseph knew was that his fiance had stepped out on him. And he didn't believe her story about the Holy Spirit. And, and why would he? Would any of us? She was pregnant. And he knew he wasn't the father. What else was he to conclude? You and I in a similar situation would conclude exactly as he did. Someone he loved deeply had betrayed him. And you see the love that he had for Mary. You see it in the, the description of how he was responding to this. This is in the face of heart-crushing news. He's yet kind and loving toward her and a loyal man, even in the midst of his hurt. He could make life very difficult for Mary at this point, and he decides not to. The scriptures say he's a just man, and he didn't want to shame her. Now, could we, just at this point, could we agree this is a difficult, perhaps the most difficult of life circumstances? He's planning on spending the rest of his earthly life with this woman. He loves her deeply. It's evident in the text. And she, at least in his mind, has betrayed him. I mean, the only thing that could make sense of it would be a miracle. I mean, the only thing that could make sense of it is what she said, that the Holy Spirit impregnated her. That the pregnancy itself had some kind of divine purpose attached to it. Now, Mary knew that was true, but Joseph at this point does not. And unless we see our own life circumstances, and I get we're not the Mary and Joseph. We're not in the situation where we're being asked to do something that's history altering in the same sense or to the same degree that Mary and Joseph were being asked. But nevertheless, unless we see our own life circumstances, no matter how desperate or dark they are, unless we see them framed up by the narrative of Jesus' birth, unless we see them framed up under the narrative of Emmanuel, God with us, then we'll spend our lives as Joseph could have spent his life, out of the picture, consumed by hurt of the betrayal. Imagine what would have happened had God not intervened puts Mary away, finds another woman, settles down, lives in Nazareth, 
makes tables and chairs, and we don't even know who he is. He fades from the scene. He fades from history. He's he's far from the plan that God had laid out for him, and he becomes inconsequential. Now, I got to tell you, that is no way for any Christ follower to live. It shouldn't be that any of us who name the name of Jesus Christ would ever live lives that are inconsequential in any way, that we would so refuse to hear what God has for us, that we would miss the glory and the blessing of being in the center of his will, doing the thing he wants us to do, and seeing how that works out for the glory of God. We don't want to ever let anything get in the way of what God might want to do in us and through our lives, no matter how difficult the circumstances might be. God had a plan for Mary and Joseph. And God has a plan for you. I don't know what it is. You might not even know what it is. But he's got one. He's working it out. No matter how hard it might be in this very moment. Keep your feet moving in the direction of his will. Keep your heart soft to the thing that he's doing. Keep your mind clear of doubts and fears about the circumstance you're in. And put your trust and faith fully in him for what he wants to do. You frame up those circumstances in light of the nativity. God's going to do a powerful thing, I believe it, in every one of our lives. And then look at this. And the nativity also delivers help for my deepest problem. Then we might ask, uh, wouldn't it be fun right now just to turn to the person beside you and say, hey, what's your problem? And, but at the end of the day, the answer is always the same. I mean, you, you might have lots of problems. I get it. And I got a few. But at the end of the day, we all have the same problem. We see the solution to that problem really in the next few verses. Take a look at verse 20 now. But as he considered these things, this is Joseph. He's thinking through whether he's going to you know, be done with Mary. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, uh, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All right. Confirmed what she said. Uh, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, God with us, uh, the intention of God's presence with us is to save us. And I hope you're here today knowing that you need to be saved. I hope you realize that the deepest problem you have is this alienation you have from God. I mean, if someone is coming to save you and that someone is the Lord, whether you admit it or not, it is because you need saving. And many, most in this world would deny that they actually even need saving. I hope you're here today because you have a sense that you actually do need saving. We live in a world, by the way, that overcomplicates things. And the thing about the gospel is there's no doubt that there's complexity to God. There's no doubt that there's much of who God is and, and, 
that, that, that's rooted in the mysteries of God, and we can't comprehend it. But, but the gospel itself is, is very simple. So it's not a complicated thing. But, but humanity, we complicate things. We, we complicate everything. Now, anybody who's in healthcare will understand what the DSM-5 is, correct? You know what that is, DSM-5? How many people know what that is? Just raise your hand. Okay, relatively few of you. This is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And it's the fifth edition of that. It was recently upgraded. And um, I mean, this is the, the, if you don't mind the term, this is the Bible of psychology. This is where you go to determine what the different disorders and conditions that people have, what those are. And uh, that can be a very helpful guide. But just to give an illustration of how we overly complicate things, uh, the DSM-5 has uh, 957 pages attempting to explain mental disorders. And what happens from edition to edition is uh, they find out more and they alter it and they change this and classifications go away and some new ones come in and we redefine things and words that become offensive get dropped and new words get put in. And, but it's all very complicated. And very few people are ever going to read through all 957 pages that are trying to uh, explain some of the challenges that we have, some of the problems that we have in life. So then I moved away from that to um, the issue of philosophy, and I went to uh, Amazon.com, and I typed in the book section alone the word philosophy, so books on philosophy, ready for this now, uh, 946,000 books available on Amazon.com in the area of philosophy, in the area of self-help, two. 282,000 books. Uh, Clearly, we're not able to help ourselves because we're still trying to figure it out. Uh, So many uh, different perspectives on life, and we're working so hard as human beings to try and understand. I'm not saying that this pursuit is a bad pursuit. In fact, it's an excellent pursuit. But so much energy is going into trying to understand ourselves from an anthropological point of view, from a sociological point of view, from a a, um, philosophical point of view, and a psychological point of view. And those are not bad pursuits. And, And some of those pursuits are indeed, each of those pursuits is indeed finding out some things that are legitimately true and good for us to know. But it's so complicated and so much disagreement about it. In its simplicity, all right? The nativity delivers help for my deepest problem. What exactly is that? Here it is in in really just five bullet points. God made us and he made us perfect. God made us and he made us perfect. Secondly, we rebelled against that perfection and against him choosing to sin and alienated ourselves from him. The relationship between us and God that was so perfect in the original creation, severed. Third, the human struggle then in every respect is a struggle to find out who we are and where we belong and what our purpose in life is. It is a struggle to know God and be in relationship with him. Whether people acknowledge it or not, that's the human struggle. Get back into that place where I'm fulfilled. That's where all the big questions of life are being asked. 
then fourth, as we're building this kind of look at dealing with our biggest problem, that fourth, God made a way for us to be reconciled and restored to that relationship. And not just the birth of Jesus, because we can't stop at the nativity. It's amazing to be able to look at what we're looking at right now, but we have to remember that the nativity points to the cross, and we've been singing about that all morning. It's not just about the infant Jesus. That was like step one in the God with us plan. But it's not the whole thing. God made a way for us to be reconciled and restored to that relationship. It's because on the cross, Jesus Christ gave his life in place of your life, in place of my life. That the blood that he shared, shed because he was perfect, that's what cleansed us of our sin. That's the thing that makes it possible for us to be back in relationship with our God. And then fifth, finally, we have only to receive his way by faith. It is a gift from him. A gift given to us at the nativity. It's the gift of God with us. And, and, and it's not just in the universal sense that Jesus was given to this world. The, the offer is universal. But this is very personal. And so when we say God with us, really, each individual here needs to say, is it yet God with me? Is God with me or not? You have to make Emmanuel personal in your own life. And so in a word, our deepest problem is sin. And in a word, the solution, in a name really, in one name, the solution is Jesus. He came, as the text said, to save his people from their sin. He came to save you from your sin. And I hope you believe that today. Then see this. The nativity marks my identity with his very presence. My identity, who I am. And again, this is a big struggle for people. Trying to figure out who they are. But my identity is actually marked by the God with us, Emmanuel, presence of God, the nativity. His presence in my life. Verse 23 um, again, Matthew quotes Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is 600, written 600 years before Jesus came. And then Matthew adds the interpretation, which means God with us. Now, if you are a believer, you cannot separate. You cannot separate who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ from Christ in you. The presence of Christ in our lives actually determines our position in Christ. And our position in Christ, that's our identity. We belong to him. And so whatever else you are, we've talked a lot about identity this fall. But whatever else you are, if you're male or female, if you're married or single, if you're young or old, if you're a child, a teenager, an adult or a senior adult, if you're a student, if you're working, if you're retired or something else, if you're healthy or sick or infirmed, whatever you would see as your identity. I would even say this, if you are identify yourself as homosexual or heterosexual or you're confused about that and struggling with whatever else your identity is, I'm just telling you, whatever else you see it as, 
if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your identity needs to be first and foremost in him. Your base identity is this, and every human being has it on the planet in this very moment. Your base identity is saved or unsaved. You're either in the family or you're not in the family. You're either found by him or you're still lost and wandering without him. You're either seeing by faith or you're still blind. You're exalted and an heir of all of God's riches or you are wretched and poor. You are a citizen of the heavenly country or you are a citizen of this world enslaved by its ways. And so what is your identity? If somebody was to ask you, do you have it first and foremost in your mind that you are a child of God, that you belong to him, that Christ is in you? And I like Colossians 1.27, just drop that verse down. Colossians 1.27 says that the riches of the glory of this mystery, and in that the apostle Paul, he's talking about the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of salvation, or we could say here, the mystery of the nativity, of the coming of Christ, of God with us in the incarnation. The riches of the glory of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of of glory that's it that's our identity before anything else you are in christ because christ is with us there's a lot of hope in that don't you think a lot of assurance and confidence and then finally this if the nativity is going to make any difference at all It's going to provide my life with purpose and direction. I mean, Joseph's response in verses 24 and 25 is so immediate and so decisive that it could could be like a sermon of its own. Check this out. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, so he's had this dream. Here's this angel. The angel tells him these things. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. There's no equivocation there. There's There's no waiting. There's no... Further conversation, let me just go talk to Mary about that and see if this is all true. It just says that he he just goes and obeys. He took his wife, but he knew her not. Okay, let's just pause for a second again and just, we all know what that means, right? You got it? Got it? Okay, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he, that is Joseph, the father obeyed what he heard from the angel and called his name Jesus. Now, the word resolved is used back in verse 19 when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant and he thinks he's been betrayed. It says that Joseph resolved to put her away. That this is going to be the end of it. I'm I'm cutting off. He's resolved. It's decided. I'm doing this. It's, It's a, there's a firmness to the decision. But what I read here is an even greater resolve. The nativity points to purpose. And after hearing from the angel, Joseph knows what he has to do, and he does it. 
The fact is that there's some people in the room right now, you're followers of Christ, you, you've professed faith in Christ, you've been baptized in him, you're members of this church, you serve somewhere in the church, but there's some issue in your life where you are not being obedient to God and you know what it is. I don't even have to give you 10 seconds to think about. Let me just give you 10 seconds, bring that to mind. You know what it is. You know where the area of rebellion is in your life. But you're not willing to kind of put that away and to be done with it. You would say like, you know what? I would obey the way that Joseph obeyed if an angel appeared to me. I just need like an angel to show up. Flame and sword and everything. Then I'd obey. Then I'd do what God said for me to do because then I'd take it a little more seriously. I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. Do you, do, you remember, do you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus both die and Lazarus gets taken care of and the rich man goes down to, to suffering and he's suffering there and he says, um, he, just, he just calls out to Abraham. He says to Abraham um, across the chasm that separates the two, he says to Abraham, could, could you at least just send Lazarus back from the dead. If Lazarus goes back from the dead and tells my brothers what's up in the afterlife, then they'll believe him because someone was raised from the dead. They'll believe him. Raised from the dead, more awesome than even an angel? Yes. And um, remember what Abraham said to him? They have Moses and the prophets. What, what does he essentially say? They got the Bible. I got the Bible. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, if they won't believe the Bible, they're not even going to believe it if a man is raised from the dead. And so this little lame excuse that we have that if only an angel came and told me to do it, then I would do it. Listen, you've got the Bible. You've got the Bible. It's clear. It's miraculous in its own way. We see lives changed by the power of God's word every day. It's a miracle that we even have this book, that it speaks so clearly to the human condition, that it speaks with such hope of Jesus Christ, that it gives us such phenomenal promises for eternity. The world out there is ignoring the fact that the Old Testament, written hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the coming of Christ, predicted so clearly who the Messiah would be. They're already ignoring all of these signs that are pointing. And so, no, listen, you're not going to be excited about God's purposes for you and what he wants for you, even if an angel shows up, if you're not already obeying the word. So let's get on that. Let's just obey what we already know to be true. Personally, I've just found as I've been reading the Bible that I, I could, I, I got all I can handle right here for an entire lifetime. You know, you know what I'm saying? Is that you too? And then some. And even with the angel showing up, by the way, I mean, what he was asked to do was hard. I mean, even if an angel shows up and says, Joseph, I think you need to do this. It was still really hard. He, his betrothed, his fiance's pregnant. 
That's not quite the shameful thing that it used to be in different eras of, of history. It's pretty common today. I'm so grateful we get to work with the Barry Pregnancy Resource Center here with unplanned pregnancies because this is pretty much the mother of all unplanned pregnancies. And God can take those things and make them awesome, don't you think? That's why I love working with that agency. God can do a great thing. We need to get under his will and his plan. Joseph was trying to do that, but there's all kinds of shame attached to it for him. She's pregnant by another man. He's still going to take her to be his wife. People are going to know. They're going to think it was him anyway. They're going to be like, you were messing around before you were married, Joseph. What's the deal? All of a sudden, this man who was a just man, according to the scriptures, isn't in the eyes of the people around him in this little village, by the way, where everybody knows everyone else's business. Man, his, his, his reputation with his family, his reputation with his friends, his business reputation, all of it flushed because he's obeying God. He's doing the right thing. God wants me to do this, yet everyone else thinks I'm an idiot. So it doesn't matter if that comes from the word of God or if that comes from an angel or some voice from heaven. That doesn't matter. Will we obey what God has for us? Will we see that what God wants to do through the nativity, through the work of Jesus Christ is to provide my life with purpose and direction that goes beyond anything I could ever understand in this life? It goes beyond my own perspective, what I can see with my eyes. He led his family well. That last line where he called his name Jesus, I, I want you to enter in to the awesomeness of the moment. His name is Jesus. What that represents is awesome in every way when he said the words. It was a final act of obedience. It was a man saying, I don't care what happens to me. I'm on God's program. And he would see it all come into focus, of course, on that night in Bethlehem when his son was born. In that moment, he would confidently know what his purpose in life was. He would know the direction he took was right. Through his life, he would proclaim the wonder of the nativity. That was his purpose. And I hope you see it as your purpose, if you're a follower of Christ. And that should dictate in every way the direction of your life. This shouldn't be a Christmas like any other. We ought to be stirred down to the very uh, deepest parts of who we are. Our identity, our purpose in Christ should all be defined by the nativity. That's the difference it should make. And then spilling out from our lives, it, it ought to make a difference in other people's lives. That's why we're so fired up about trying to get other people here to hear this. Can I just tell you again for the record, I'm not interested at all in our church having a happy little Christmas tradition of a fun little uh, Christmas Eve service. I have zero interest in that. If it ever becomes that way, I'll just shut it down and just stay home for Christmas Eve. 
It's about us just, it isn't about us just being happy together on Christmas Eve and, and getting warm fuzzies. We're supposed to get people here to hear about this, to hear about the nativity and how it has radically altered our lives. It's given us, given us everything we need for this life and the hope of the next one. Don't let another Christmas pass without letting the truth of God with us change you. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, it's an awesome thing to really reflect on the truths that are communicated to us through the story. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for his willingness to come. Very God of very God, yet taking on human flesh, dwelling among us, experiencing life as we experience it, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Father, I, I thank you that he was willing to make the sacrifice of becoming human the sacrifice of being killed at the hands of humanity. Thank you, Father, that you sent him out of your great love for us. We so need to hear that, that you love us. In every way, the nativity communicates that. So thank you. And I pray for those in the room who are struggling with obedience right now, living for you, God, in the nativity this year, they would find the strength. God would be with them in power to bring about the changes that need to happen to make them more like you. And in this moment, God, I pray, especially for those in the room who don't know you yet. This is all new to them, and they don't have the relationship. They know about the nativity. They know about Christ. They know about God. They might even say they believe in him haven't yet made the decision to surrender their life and follow you. So God, I pray in this moment that they would be considering that and your Holy Spirit would be working in their heart to help them believe that truth and to find hope and life and peace in Jesus Christ. And Father, stir in all of us, God, we believe in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. So help us this Christmas season to do just that. Father, help us to hand out those invitation cards, to talk to our friends and loved ones. Get them here and in the room so that they too can enjoy the blessing of knowing what we know, experiencing what we experience in you. Thank you, Father, for the time that we've had here together again today. Hear now our worship as we lift our voices to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.